0: You're listening to GeekCred, featuring Bill Duran of Punished Props. Hello, Internet. I'm Steve Ricky and welcome to GeekCred, the podcast that delivers in-depth, behind-the-scenes interviews about everything geek. On this episode, I am pleased to introduce Bill Duran. Welcome to GeekCred. Hello! Good to be here. So, to get started, tell me a little bit about yourself and about your background. What is the origin story of Bill Duran?
1: Uh, uh, well, you see, when a mother and a father love loved <laughs> each other very much. <laughs> uh, let's not go back that far. I am a twin. That's kind of interesting. Hmm. I have an identical twin brother. Uh, but the, my my current thing is, of course, Punish Props and the uh, replica prop building that I do. And the origin story of that goes back probably um, just I have a strong background in art and building things. My mom is an art teacher, a high school art teacher, and my dad always did lots of hobby type things. Mm-hmm. So we were putting together remote control cars and building models and stuff. So wow. I did a lot of that growing up.
0: So, I guess you were kind of already doing the maker yeah. thing as a kid, though. Mm-hmm. So, this was kind of just a natural extension. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go make props and start from square one. This was kind of a just, these were skills you kind of, to some degree, already had then.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff that I just picked up as a kid, putting together models and painting things. But also, I, I went to school for computer art, for doing like 3D design, mm. Maya, 3D Studio Max for animation, and... In the early 2000s, that meant you also took a lot of traditional art classes. So I took right. a lot of 3D design, a lot of sculpture, art, art history, painting, drawing. And I also did a lot of drafting and technical drawing and architectural drawing and all of that, that kind of stuff. So a lot of that has paid, finally, 10 years later, paid dividends <laughs> in my career. Finally. Yeah.
0: Getting your money's worth. Yeah,
1: you know, I still haven't used any of that math they told me I would need so much.
0: <laughs> Who does? Unless you're, you know, like an engineer.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I am not. No, sir. Um, But the prop thing, like this sort of specific taking art in that direction, uh, we, was because some friends of mine and I decided to uh, dress up in costumes for the Penny Arcade Expo out here in Seattle uh, a couple of years ago. And we built... Costumes from the Team Fortress 2 characters. And uh, that started our sort of lifetime love of doing costuming. And I just kept making all of the props for everyone until until now I do it for a living all day.
0: So were you always a geek growing up or was this something you more embraced as an adult?
1: I, uh, Funny enough, growing up, I played a lot of sports. Uh, probably because that's what my dad did, but hmm. I was a turbo geek. Uh, I did a lot of, lot of reading, uh, probably cause I, I'm horribly nearsighted and I wore these giant thick glasses <laughs> <laughs> ever since first grade. So that, that kind of shoves you down one direction in life. Hmm, sure. Uh, read a lot of science fiction and fantasy growing up. Uh, a lot of my friends were into that sort of thing. My favorite show growing up was Highlander. So hmm. If that's a barometer for for geekiness, then definitely swayed pretty far in that direction uh, in my formative years in high school.
0: Right, right. So you kind of touched on this, but tell me more about how you got into prop building and costuming and what that very first build was like.
1: Um, The the first costume build, the the Team Fortress characters that we did. At the time, I, I was sort of living in this house with my uh, my now wife and some other friends. We all worked together at Microsoft, but we all lived in this big house, like six or seven of us, uh, and we all decided to do this project together, you know, build all of these costumes. And we didn't have a shop. We didn't have anything. We did most of the build in our dining room. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, it got pretty messy, and it was late nights, uh, staying up late and trying to get things done on time and sewing costumes and gluing things and and fumigating the house with like Bondo and terrible smells. So it was kind of the wild west of costume making where (laughs) all of us only kind of knew what we were doing. Um, But the end result was good enough that we were happy with it. And uh, when the next year rolled around for PAX, we did it again And then now it's a yearly thing and a bi-yearly thing. And it's, for me, it's my full-time job.
0: You've become infected.
1: Yes, it is very infectious.
0: So what is it about going to conventions, like you mentioned, and dressing up in a costume that's just so fun?
1: Well, uh I think the most important part of it, or at least the most in part for me and it's it's important to make the distinction that not everybody cosplays for the same reason true, uh, but my reason is first and foremost it's a way it's sort of the ultimate expression of fandom for me um hmm that sort of unbridled enthusiasm for a character or a video game or whatever right. it is that you like a lot. Um, so for example, my very favorite character is Wolverine from the X-Men. So one year I did a Wolverine character and, and I um, uh, made claws and I made an X-Men belt buckle and I worked out a whole bunch. And, uh, and to me, that was like, this is me and my favorite character. And it's that sort of expression of fandom. Um, and then being in that environment with a lot of other people who, um, who are doing the same thing, you know, expressing their fandom is infectious and, and uh, the, the enthusiasm sort of builds on it, on itself with each other. And everyone just has, usually has a really, really good time.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I do think it's kind of an interesting uh, difference between people who kind of see it and don't really get it and everyone else who's been to a convention and even if they haven't done it themselves, they've seen the costumes, they can appreciate the costumes. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, well, the other aspect of that, too, that now for me, is that going to conventions in a costume with props that I've built is a marketing tool for me.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah,
1: I'm using it as a means to show up the stuff that I make. Uh, an important thing that I do is when I meet new people who have never seen my stuff before, or people who have seen my stuff but never in person, is I'll put it in their hands if I can, because uh, I make like, uh, for example, I make Mass Effect pistols, and the ones that I make are solid plastic resin castings, and they feel very substantial. They're uh, almost two pounds. They uh, they're solid. Like if you clobbered someone in the head, they would they would go down. They're very solid. <laughs> Uh, the visual aesthetic is one thing, but the tactile, getting that thing in your hand, you're mm. like, yeah, I feel powerful. So I always do that if I can when I'm in person. I'm like, here, check it out. Or if I'm posing with someone and they're standing there, I'll shove a, ga- a gun in their hands. And they get people get really excited about that. And mm. that's something that you can only really get from going to a convention.
0: Right, right. Now you kind of touched on it that this is your full time job. So mm-hmm. tell me about that process you went through and deciding to quit, you know, your safe, stable job at Microsoft to take this hobby full time.
1: Let's see, a year, about a year and a half ago, I did. I started doing projects more and more that were more just like a prop that I wanted to do. Right. So. I love Mass Effect and I started making Mass Effect stuff and I made a gun from Mass Effect 3 that wasn't it was before Mass Effect 3 came out. It's what it was. And there was some concept art of a pistol that I liked. So I took that concept art and I did the best that I could to build that gun and I um, put it in the child's play charity auction dinner. They do that every year in December uh, in Bellevue by where I live. And I got a huge response from that. And people saw it online they like, that's really cool. And people started messaging me and like, that's awesome. I want one. I was like, oh, I, I guess I could I could make some more. Uh, and then I made, let's see, what did I make? A dagger. I made a Maroon's Razor from Skyrim. Hmm. And that got linked on... Bethesda's blog or on their Facebook page or whatever so suddenly my work had gone from you know uh, maybe a thousand people had seen it to a million people saw it (laughs) you know all the fans of the game right and people who are fans especially things like Skyrim and Mass Effect people those fans are extremely enthusiastic and the next day after that got linked I couldn't even come close to answering all my emails because my inbox got flooded with with requests for that. I was like, okay, I could, I guess, I can make more of those, and <laughs> and then people started just. It was a snowball effect where people kept emailing me like, could you make you made a Skyrim dagger? Could you make something else? And I was like, yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, the same basic process. So uh, yeah, just my by the time that was in December, and then by March. Swung around. My, I had more commissions than I had time to finish, and I had talked to my wife about it. I'm like, "This is really cool. I wish I had more time. I could, I could actually make money doing this. I could, well, I could survive doing this. Let's say <laughs> I'm not living high on the hog right now, but I realized that I could survive on it. My job at Microsoft was okay. It paid all right, and I it was a solid job, but it wasn't going anywhere, and mm. it wasn't doing. It, I was publishing video. And I went to school for uh, you know, computer art, and I wanted to do
0: something artistic. So, mm, so not the most creatively fulfilling job. Yeah,
1: exactly. So uh, when I realized that doing prop making full-time was something that I could do, it wasn't even a decision. I was like, well, that's <laughs> this is clearly the next logical step. Mm. So yeah, I went to PAX East. That was one year ago. And I did a panel with some of my friends about prop building. And I talked to a bunch of other people. And I have other friends who have done stuff like this uh, for a living. My friend Harrison at uh, Vulpen Props does prop making for a living. So I grilled him and we talked about it a whole bunch. And by the time I got home from PAX East, I went and turned in my two weeks. And two weeks later, <laughs> I was I was uh, out on my own. And it's been almost a year now and I have survived. <laughs>
0: And I think that's really interesting going from, hey, there's this hobby I'm pretty good at Mm -hmm. too. I'm actually good enough that people will pay me to do this.
1: That was a a realization I had. um, Dragon Con that previously that year, I had met my friend Harrison and was again, grilling him about doing it full time. And he said, you could just do it. You could just go do that full time. And before then I hadn't realized like, that is a thing I could do. (laughs) It never occurred to me that I could just go get, paid to do that i think that a lot of people don't just don't have that realization Um, but Mm. also it's also an extraordinarily large amount of work (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah Yeah. i I do think that's something that i'd love to hear you expound upon because i don't think a lot of us realize as you know fans when we go to a convention and we see you or others in costume or just see pictures of it Mm -hmm. the amount of work that goes into this
1: yeah it really is a labor of love and I know that a lot of people couldn't do it for a living, even though they love it a lot and they're willing to put in the time to make something that's really good. I know for a long time I was considering doing photography full time for a living because that's a hobby of mine. But after I had shot a few weddings and done some little jobs here and there, I realized that I, didn't, I could not do that for someone else. Like That was a personal thing for me, mm. my art, and that was that. The prop-making thing, on the other hand, for whatever reason, I can do it all day, every day. I don't feel bad when I have to sell something and, and get rid of it when I put so much work into it. So it, that works for me. And, and it, for a lot of people, turning their um, hobby into a career is not viable. It's just their passion does not translate to career.
0: Uh, but for me, it worked out. So, we. <laughs> So take me a little bit through your process and your workflow from start to finish. I mean, what exactly goes into a build?
1: All right. Well, let's talk Mass Effect Gun, because that's usually what uh, I've Something built. Something you've become pretty known for. Yeah, I got a couple of those. Um, the first and most important part is collecting good reference images. And with video games, it's actually pretty, not, I'm not going to say easy, but when you compare it to people trying to go frame by frame through a movie to mm. collect a reference image, a video game one is a lot more um, su- well suited to for prop making.
0: You can actually extract the model yeah. and look at it. Yeah. I have actually uh, recently
1: grabbed all of the files from Skyrim uh, and I have some plans for uh, some costume plans for a personal project for this summer. Literally can load up high res textures. I can rotate around the 3D object. I can get perfect, um, orthographic views. I can get wireframes of it, uh, from the 3D model. And so from video games, you can do that, which is pretty cool. Uh, so for mass effect, I didn't even have to do that. I found a guy online who had extracted all the game files and had a library of images that were like character turnarounds and weapon turnarounds. And they're, the high res versions of it. So for the Carnifex, I went and grabbed the this picture this dude posted online uh, that was perfect detailed view of the whole gun. Uh, from that, I'll usually trace out a blueprint so that I can print it out full scale, vector, uh, nice clean edges, and it's exactly how I need it to be. And I'll scale it too, uh, make sure that it it's the right size. Because if you make it too big or too small, it can look really weird and awkward. Mm. And then uh, usually I'll print out the uh, blueprint full size and just cut it up and, and use that uh, as a template to, uh, to build it out of a whole bunch of different materials. Uh, from there, for the guns, I like to use a method I call slicing. Uh, I guess other people call it that too. I don't, I don't know. But basically I build the gun flat from the side out in layers. Um, which is, this is, I'm making gestures with my hands that probably wouldn't help even if you could see me. But, but it gets sliced into layers of different thicknesses. So I have, uh, let's say, the center, the thick part in the middle will be like three-quarter inch MDF wood because that takes up a lot of space and there doesn't need to be any detail on that. And then as you go out, I might have like eighth inch PVC or sixteenth of an inch uh, styrene plastics. Uh, and I'll cut the details in with my scroll saw or with an X-Acto knife. Um, other pieces like barrels. Why, that's just a PVC pipe. That's basically all that PVC pipe's good for, right? <laughs> <laughs> Go to Home Depot and walk out with a whole bunch of different thicknesses of PVC pipe they're They're like, uh, you know, none of those fit together. <laughs> like, don't worry. I know, I know. Don't worry. It's, I got it's, this. For an art project, I'm not going to be screwing up my septic tank with this stuff. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so I'll build a, usually I end up making a mold of the of things I make. So I'll build a master that way. And uh, and by the way, too, on my webpage on punishedprops.com, I put up build write-ups for everything that I make. Yes. That's sort of a step-by-step how I've gone through. So this hand gesture slicing thing I'm talking about, you can just go there and see what I mean. <laughs> Uh, once it's all finished up and I have the shape that I want, uh, it all gets primed and sanded a couple times so that it's nice and smooth. And then I build a, a mold of it. And usually it's two part mold out of silicone. Uh, and then everything gets cast out of a polyurethane plastic. Uh, I use stuff from smooth on or from, uh, tap plastics. They have all sorts of super cool chemicals that you mix together and it turns into solid plastic. Uh, So the guns I make will pop out like that, and they get uh, sanded and painted, and then bam, you got yourself a space gun. All right. Just like that. Just like that.
0: Nothing to it.
1: (laughs) Not a problem. Well, the great (laughs) thing is that, so the card effect is a good example, because I can go through and build that out in about a week for the master and make a mold of it. Um, But then to make a copy, I've got a mold, so I can just pop out a, a... resin copy in about an wow. hour uh, and I can make, you know, or I can do five of them in a day. Uh, it takes a long time to sand and paint them. But as far as making the base shape pop out, once I have that mold made, I can uh, not really mass produce, but I can produce them much quicker than right. one per week.
0: Talk about more about the tools and materials you use. Um, are they specialized or everyday items? Cause I mean, it's not like you can just go down to the prop store and get what you need. My shop is surprisingly low tech actually. Hmm. I would like to
1: get like a laser cutter and some other higher higher tech tools and i you know it's working on that, but mostly I use my scroll saw a lot, a drill press, I have a lathe actually that anytime I'm making anything that's cylindrical, my lathe is my go-to tool for that. Um I use a lot of knives like a uh, exacto knives craft knives and stuff a lot of sandpaper sandpaper is pretty key and then like little files for filing shapes and grooves and getting really nice clean edges on things so i use a lot of files probably mentioned sandpaper but it doesn't hurt to say that again I use that <laughs> a lot and then uh, i have an air compressor so i have some air power tools and i have uh, an airbrush so i do a lot of my detail painting with my airbrush that thing is crazy useful I have a room, actually, that I made in my shop that's just for painting that's sealed off and it's ventilated so that I don't gas myself every time I spray paint something. Ventilation? Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have, a, I have a respirator, you know, eye protection, gloves. I try and stay as safe as possible.
0: But for the most part, nothing super exotic, I guess, that you wouldn't be able to get normally. Or some people might already even own.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I have a heat gun I use a lot. Uh, The lathe is probably the most specialized thing I have Mm. right now, but even that I got from Harbor Freight. Uh, I think it was like 130 bucks for the small one that they have. But I do want a laser cutter because all the cool kids, all the cool kid prop makers (laughs) have laser cutters. Come on, yeah, I know. I want one now. Uh, I'm thinking about 3D printers. Mm, Um, I'm still not sure if they're yeah, if there's one in my price range that's good enough for to be useful to me i'm not sure about yet but um I, my wife has actually gotten some stuff 3d printed from shapeways uh and it looks pretty cool <laughs> and i do have a <laughs> i do have training in 3d modeling so i can i can actually make that I mean, sort of right. stuff yeah yeah so we'll see i uh cnc mill would be pretty sweet uh Kind of cool. <laughs> now we're starting to talk big bucks, though, and I'm not, not quite there yet.
0: <laughs> and, and as far as materials, where do you go and get that stuff? Because like I said, it's not like you can go down to your local prop store to get everything you need.
1: Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff I get from the hardware store, so I use MDF a lot. I use PVC pipe a lot. Glues and stuff are all at the hardware store. So I, I use a lot of super glue that I get from hobby stores uh, and a lot of the paint I get from hobby stores too, enamel paints and different metallics and stuff and metalizer, buffing lacquers and all that cool stuff is from the hardware or from the hobby store. But for my plastics, um, for like sheet plastic or PVC or styrene, there's actually a tap plastics uh, nearby where I live. So I'm kind of spoiled. I can just drive up there and pick up. And they have all sorts of other stuff, too. They have polyurethane plastic resin. They have uh, silicone for mold making. They've got acetate acrylic sheet. All kinds of good stuff. Acrylic tube. Everything they want. But also, that sort of stuff can be ordered. Uh, There's a website called Cintra that sells PVC foam board. And Smooth On, who uh, I'm pretty sure I put two or three of their children through college. (laughs) I... uh, I get a lot of uh, silicone and uh, plastic resin. So actually, I should have some showing up either today or tomorrow. A big old, big old box full of plastic. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of this stuff, the, the more technical stuff, you do have to order online. It's, that's just the way it is.
0: Mm-hmm. So kind of changing gears a bit, one of the amazing things, to me at least, just looking at this community from afar, and I guess to the maker movement in general as there are just so many resources out there and just a general willingness for people to share their knowledge
1: yeah it seems uh counterintuitive i guess maybe i don't know the idea though is people in hollywood right prop makers uh artists and stuff that is super competitive because yep. they're trying to get jobs. They don't have full-time jobs. They work on a movie or a project, and then they are unemployed until they get
0: another yeah, Pretty movie much the job. way Hollywood works. Everyone's a contractor.
1: Yeah, so they're really, really competitive. And that sort of environment does not promote people being very mm. forthcoming with information, especially right. when you're always trying to get a leg up on someone else. But uh, more recently, especially when you talk about people who cosplay for fun, Or like me and some of the people who do the sort of commission based work that I do, we're not competitive because the market is huge. Uh, People wanting replica props from video games, it turns out, is a huge chunk of people, and we can't keep up. So I we're we're constantly passing work back and forth to each other. You know, whenever anyone's like, "I want a Mass Effect pistol," they're like, "Go talk to Bill." Never someone wants, I want I want Mass Effect armor. I'm like, go talk to David. We, we all know each other. Mm. But also, it's weird because when I talk to my friend Harrison, I'm like, hey, Harrison, I always make prop builds on my website because you did that. And I learned a lot of information from him. And I want to pay it forward. But if you talk to him... He's like, oh, well, I do that because I learned a lot of stuff from my friend Mike and I want to pay it forward. <laughs> and I don't know where Mike got it from, but it's this sort of hierarchy of people who just learn stuff from one person and want to pay it forward. Mm. And, and the community as a whole benefits from that because everyone gets better and then everyone else wants to be better and make cooler stuff. Um, the Replica Prop form is awesome, um, it's, it's a place to go to share what you're working on and to learn stuff from other people but also for people to just talk about you know new movies and the props that are going to be in them And people if they if they want to look for reference images they'll start a thread and people will dump images in there that they found uh, Adam Savage from the Mythbusters is active on there which is Very really cool. cool yeah he did a whole thing on there about the Blade Runner pistol that he has remade like five times So you get a lot of people who are um, super enthusiastic about their favorite thing from a movie and they will build and rebuild it and they'll dig into the nuts and bolts and try and find behind the scenes information on how things were made and uh, try and uh, they'll do things like let's say they found the specific piece that some prop maker used to make uh, part of R2D2. And they'll go find a lot of those, like 10 of them, and they'll buy them all and then send them piecemeal to other makers so that they can make their own R2-D2. So that's the sort of stuff that goes on the the RPF, which is pretty rad.
0: One of the things that I don't think a lot of people realize is that in film and television, you can really fudge things. I mean, you'll have Mm -hmm. the hero version of a prop for close-ups, and then the ones that uh, kind of look good enough for wider shots... And just the fact that good lighting can make things look a whole lot better. Yeah. So when you see them in in person, these Hollywood props might not look as good as you would think. But when you see stuff made by you guys and enthusiasts, when you see those up close, they look amazing.
1: Uh, So I went to the sci-fi museum, which is here in Seattle. And they had some of the original props. Uh, I think it was Kirk's chair from the original Star Trek, which at this point is like 60 years old. It's, It has not aged well, (laughs) but the chair, I mean, from 30 feet away, you're like, hey, that's Kirk's chair. It's kind of cool. You get up close to it and it it looks terrible. It's (laughs) things are literally just like glued to the surface of it. Just lights (laughs) for no reason. Just these things. Um, Actually, my old boss used to work on Star Trek uh, on the next generation. And they had, under lock and key, they had those hero phasers, you know, And whenever they needed, whenever Picard needed to have one. And he was close to the camera, they'd give him one of these things that cost, you know, probably a couple thousand dollars to make. For the extras, they had a Tupperware bin that were full of phasers that were basically, <laughs> you know, gray painted chunks of two by four. <laughs> It's you know, still a prop, still used on a you know Hollywood set, but they're crummy. They didn't need to look good and they didn't want to spend the money on them. So that's what they got. Uh, when people are talking about replicas, they're basically either trying to make something that is screen accurate when it comes to a movie. Usually screen accurate to whatever the hero prop was. Or they want to make something that is the idealized version of that prop. Because sometimes there's room for interpretation and you want to make it look as good as possible. Uh, But the idea is that this is something that you're going to build for yourself or someone else to keep forever, you know, to put up on your mantle, Uh, which is, I think, awesome. I don't need to have the family shotgun over the mantle. I (laughs) I want the family space sniper rifle over the mantle. How cool would that be? Oh, yeah. So that's what I try and make. I build replicas from video games that are the super idealized version of whatever it is that they wanted. Uh, and I want it to be like an heirloom, like something that you're, I hope that people would keep forever. Um, so it needs to be durable so that people can carry it around a convention and it won't break. Uh, and it needs to hold up to closer inspection and scrutiny so that it looks and feels like something that was really pulled out of this video game world.
0: Mm-hmm. So in short, the replicas often are going to look much better than those originals. So just because it's fan-made, isn't, it's not a slight against the quality of the product right. in the slightest.
1: I tend to think of the term replica as basically the idealized version of whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're trying to make. Uh, and, there are, and there are companies that do uh, licensed replica runs from different movies and video games now. There are a couple, sure. of, a couple of companies like... Um, Project Triforce is one of them. They've done a couple of things from Mass Effect and from Gears of War and a handful of other things uh, that are really, really cool. And they're not cheap, I'll tell you. They're, they are not, but they look really, really good. It's not the sort of thing that can mass market yet. They still do limited runs of them, of like, let's say 500. But I've got to play with them before. They're really cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: One of the things that I can't help but think when I see some of these amazing costumes, let's say Dragon Con, for example, is it have got to be pretty warm. So how do you deal with staying cool in, say, the Atlanta summer heat? Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> one thing that is nice about Dragon Con is that you can get from hotel to hotel without going outside. That's true. Uh, yeah. And it is air conditioned. So it's not. it's actually not too bad, even though Atlanta is a hot, sweaty mess. Uh, but also, when i picking a costume, that's one of the things that's pretty high on my list of considerations. Some people don't care. but Some people are just like, I want to have the biggest, coolest, badass, most amazing thing. Yes, and quite literally suffer for their craft. <laughs> uh, I'm not that devoted. I will pick things that I'm way into, but a good example. I picked the Defender Armor from Mass Effect 3 uh, to build. As opposed to some of the other armor sets. I could have gone with the default N7 armor or whatever. But the Defender armor has pockets on it. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I have hip pockets. I could sit down in the armor, which was a, a sort of important. a pretty important. It was a bit of a technical achievement on my part to get that, that functionality built in there. I could use the men's room. which was actually number one on the priority list when I'm building a costume. Uh, And then that one in particular, uh, it's not heavy. It's all foam floor mats, but it doesn't breathe. So I did sweat a lot. So I just have to, you know, for breeze, my costume at the end of every day. So I don't stink the next day uh, (laughs) and drink a lot of water. My friend, Alyssa, on the other hand, she did Rex. So she was a giant Krogan. Wow. Yeah, and she nailed it. It was really, really awesome. But um, she had this huge head that, that went right over her head. She could barely see because she was just peeking out of the mouth. And uh, she could barely breathe. And she couldn't hear. She had a handler. So she had a friend that she conned into helping her around. Uh, but <laughs> she could only keep that head on for like five minutes at a time before she needed to crack it off and, and breathe for a little while. But for her, it was worth it because she got a huge reaction out of it. And it was awesome. Right. I have not made that jump yet. I still like wearing (laughs) comfortable costumes that I can see, hear, and breathe out of.
0: You know, I I think that's an interesting point, though. Something from a fictional world like video games that's never been made. It doesn't always function real well when you get it into the real world. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Well, a good example are my... uh, the shoulder pads for the defender armor. If you look at the character model, they are clearly clipping through his body. Uh, That's when he, not so good. Yeah, when he bends his shoulders forward and backward, it was a part in the game where to technically do that wasn't worth the time to put it in to make it look right. So they're like, yeah, let's just, just have it clip through his body. No one will notice. Which is fine for the game, and, and it looked okay. But when I was trying to build those, I had to build the shoulder pads so that they rested on the outside of my shoulders it just took some figuring out both to get it to work and to make it look right. And you can fall flat when you try and do that stuff, when you're trying to get something to be functional as a wearable item and also look like the game art. Uh, sometimes it's just not possible. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely a consideration. Yeah. And I've actually, uh, I'm buddies with some of the people at Bioware and one of the character artists for dragon age actually asked a bunch of cosplayers because their cosplay community is is extremely enthusiastic he asked them what their thoughts were about the costumes that were in dragon age and if there were things that we wanted added what Hmm. they might be Uh, and one of those things most people were like uh pockets we all want pockets (laughs) and it makes sense too i'm like these characters in the game, they should have pockets or belt pouches or where they have an inventory with like a gajillion things (laughs) in it. They should have pouches.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah. Even if it's like a magic bag of holding, they have to have somewhere to put that stuff. Yeah.
1: So, you know, hopefully in the next, the next thing
0: they'll have pockets. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. That's another thing. When I see people in these costumes without any visible pockets, like where do they put things? I mean, there are real world practical considerations. (laughs)
1: Yep. Or then then you have the characters who just have super skin tight or really skimpy outfits where, you know, (laughs) where physics no longer apply, let's say. (laughs)
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. Or there was a lot of double-sided tape involved somewhere. (laughs) Yeah,
0: there you go. So do you have any advice or encouragement for someone like me, for example, who's maybe interested in getting started, but maybe at the same time a little intimidated or lack some of the more specialized tools and skills?
1: Sure. Uh, the one thing I could definitely say is a good idea is if you're going to make a costume for something, let's say me, a, a video game, is to pick a character that you're enthusiastic about. Because uh, there are a lot of times I'll see people on Reddit in the cosplay subreddit. They'll post a picture of themselves and they'll say, hey, I'm 5'9", I'm 170 pounds, what character should I do? Everyone will go and try and find a character that fits their body type or their height or their gender or their race or whatever. And they'll pick a character that fits them visually. But if you're building a costume, in your first costume, it's, it's going to take you a couple of months to build. You know, and to start to finish if you're doing it mm-hmm. in your spare time. It's going to take you A long time. This is something that you are going to have a huge time investment in. Um, You need to be stoked about that character if you have any prayer of finishing that costume. (laughs) You need to be more invested than just this is a thing that kind of looks like me. Mm. Uh, So number one is definitely pick something, pick a character you're into. And then give yourself a lot of time to do it. Uh, usually if you're going to build a costume for let's say a video game character uh, you're going to do it for pax east or something which is in the end of march so why not start in september (laughs) give yourself you generally what i say is figure out how much time you think it's going to take and then take twice as long to build it Mm. because something will go wrong something always goes wrong (laughs) You'll burn
0: yourself, or you'll
1: glue. You'll burn
0: yourself, what? Yeah. Sounds like you're speaking from personal experience. Yeah,
1: like four in the morning before PAX Prime, you'll end up napalming the palm of your hand with super glue. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then your wife will say, honey, just go to bed. Put some ice on your hand. I'll finish this up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, another thing you can do is cosplay with a group of friends. Uh, if you can get other people involved, especially if you do costumes that are a group costume. Um, so I did Team Fortress with my friends, and I did a bunch of StarCraft characters with my friends. And we got a huge, awesome reaction from people, and we were all invested in it, and we all had a really good time. So definitely definitely a social thing. Do Do it with friends or convince someone else to do it. And then either a lot of times people will build a costume and they aren't happy with it. So they will rebuild it. And then or every year, for example, my um, sister-in-law has done a Samus Aran costume for the last three years. And every year she just keeps improving it. So don't the first costume you do doesn't need to be super awesome. And it doesn't need to be the only costume you do. As your skills get better, you can improve the costumes that you've made and, Hmm. and just keep going every year.
0: You know, it definitely sounds like you've got an interesting family between you and your wife and your brother and sister-in-law and me, all yeah. kind of doing the same type of thing. And I think that's awesome. It
1: really is cool. Uh, we were just at PAX East. And um, I, I live in Seattle. My brother and his wife live in New York. So we all got to see each other at PAX East. And we were all dressed up in costume. So I had my, uh, my Mass Effect armor on. My wife had Chandra, the planeswalker from Magic the Gathering. And my brother was Mega Man, and my sister in law was Samus.
0: <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, it's time for rapid fire. Reaction right. time is a factor here. So don't think too much. Answer with whatever comes to mind. All right. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Dark side or light side?
1: God, I wish I could say I would be light side, but the dark side is far too tempting.
0: <laughs> Marvel or DC?
1: wolverine marvel
0: <laughs> mac or pc
1: oh that's hard i just got a mac and i really like it but i use my pc too much
0: <laughs> robots pirates or zombies pirates it's easy no hesitation there not at
1: all <laughs> i propose to my wife dressed as a pirate
0: wow there you go that's uh, right. that's pretty impressive um <laughs> xbox playstation or pc for gaming uh pc for sure If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why?
1: Wolverine's healing factor, so I can live forever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I guess it's kind of hard to argue with that. I mean, some of the others are more flashy, but hey, live forever.
1: Also, uh, I hurt myself in the shop
0: pretty frequently, (laughs) so that would be pretty useful. So practically, it would have some real advantages for you. It certainly would. (laughs) What is your favorite science fiction curse word?
1: Probably (laughs) Goramit. all right yeah gram mail.
0: if someone were to write a book about you what might the title be
1: oh boy i've probably this is probably something i've thought of before i don't know hot glue burns and (laughs) (laughs) hot glue burns and uh spray paint vapors the builder and story (laughs) there you go
0: that's definitely the most creative one i've heard yeah all right, that's it for rapid fire. Whew, how to do? All right. You did great. Ah, fantastic. I always ask this question, but I think it takes on even more meaning with someone like you who really makes geeky things for a living. Mm-hmm. But what might be the geekiest thing you've ever done?
1: Well, I already said the pirate thing. That <laughs> was pretty up there. That, that is pretty
0: hard to top, I think. <laughs>
1: Geekiest thing I've ever done. And I'm a guy who goes out in public dressed as Commander Shepard, so that's kind of hard to <laughs> that see that seems normal to me. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's the geekiest thing I've ever done, but this weekend for my birthday, I played Dungeons and Dragons in a bar with my friends. That was that's got to be up there. <laughs> so, pick pick one of those those things. Those are that's the brand of geekiness that I that I do. <laughs>
0: A lot of the people I like to talk to on the show, I'd say, are creative people in at least some way. So what inspires you creatively?
1: Since I started doing prop making, I've made a lot of friends who are both extraordinarily skilled and amazing people, just good folks. And uh, and because I, I may not live near all these people, but because we're connected online, I always see whatever other people people are making or doing mm. with, with their craft. So and I'm always inspired to do better because of that, to be a better person and to create cooler things. So having inspiring friends is pretty high on my list of of uh, inspirational type things, I guess. But creatively, I it's it's weird, but Reddit actually, you can find some really cool inspiring art on Reddit, some cool mm. uh People are doing some fun sculptural type things, you know, crafting and sculpting things that are in one side, extremely geeky, but also really, really awesome artwork. I've seen some people take video game properties or characters and doing really fun things with them, you know, like turning Mario into fine art is kind of cool. Taking... These things that you have nostalgia for, that you're already super enthusiastic about, and turning it into something new and creative that the um, that the original creators you know never intended you to do. That sort of stuff is really really cool to me. So as as far as art goes, also my mm-hmm. mom. I should probably she'll take all the credit anyway. My mom's an <laughs> art. She's an art teacher, so
0: probably that's in too. the blood. Yeah. What might you say has been the secret to your success?
1: Uh, I don't have what you would call uh social life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I used to be uh, like I used to play World of Warcraft a lot for like five years. I was a an officer in a guild. I ran raids. I did all that. So I was playing like, you know, four to seven hours of World of Warcraft a day. And I I don't do that anymore. The passion to build props has taken over anything outside of the super necessary stuff like I don't know, eating and exercise. It's boring, but it's just a work ethic. Hmm. I do this 12 hours a day, seven days a week. So, you know, you got to make sacrifices to make this sort of thing work. And uh, that's what I've done.
0: So we are just about out of time, but I do want to say talking about Bill's work just doesn't do it justice. So where can people go to find more about you and all your projects and see your work for themselves?
1: Well, you can go over to PunishedProps.com. That's my website. I've got build write-ups for all the stuff I've built in the past. I also have a store on there where you can buy things like a little book I wrote called A Beginner's Guide to Making Mind-Blowing Props. That's a $5 dollars ebook. book uh, I've also got blank castings of a bunch of the guns that I make on there that you can, you can buy and uh, paint up yourself. And then I do a lot of stuff on Facebook at facebook.com slash punished props, where I post progress photos and I answer questions. People are always asking me about how I make this stuff. So I'm always answering questions. Uh, and if you like Twitter, I'm twitter.com slash chinbeard. Uh, and that is more a mixture of me making stuff and posting pictures of my cats. <laughs>
0: Nothing wrong with that.
1: <laughs> Not at all. It's that's I get way more of a reaction out of my cats than the legitimate work that I do.
0: <laughs> and of course, something um, that we unfortunately didn't get to touch upon is you talking about fitness every mm-hmm. week on Scott Johnson's The Morning Stream.
1: That's right. I am the fitness geek, uh, and I will be on there tomorrow morning uh, in the only times on the matters, and I will talk about <laughs> fitness. Um, I also do. Uh, I'm doing lots more video stuff and that's youtube.com slash punished props um so recently i just put up a video that's all about taking good well-lit photos of your props so that's another place you can go check out the stuff that i do
0: busy 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 well thank you bill so much for talking with me you've definitely got some geek cred
1: oh thank you i will wear that badge with honor
0: Well, that's just about going to do it for this episode. But if you've got any questions, comments, suggestions, feedback, claims, make your voice heard. Call 818-925-4335 or email geekcred at geekcred.net. And as always, you can find the show notes along with much more information, including how to donate and support the show. It's all over at geekcred.net. Coming up next time, I've got Ron Richards, formerly of iFanboy and now of Image Comics. So stay tuned for that. But until then, geek on.